So, Rob, why was Pavlov's hair so soft? I don't know, Mike. Why was Pavlov's hair so soft? He conditioned it. Bam. Nice, sir. <laughs> this is Star Sarasvus, episode 430. Welcome to Startups for Us. The podcast helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you've built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. What's going on this week, Rob? You know, I got so sick Sunday night. It was like a stomach flu. My kids had all had it the prior week, and I thought I had dodged it. I was doing all good. And then... It was one of the worst nights I can remember. And it was, I was up five different times during the night. I was like delirious, stumbling around. It was nuts. And I got up Monday and the kids are off school for a snow day. And I was literally on my phone trying to just respond to email. I like couldn't even, I would write a sentence and then I would fall asleep. You know, it's like I was only doing urgent email. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, this is, I remember as a kid being sick a lot and I don't know if that's true or just my memory. And then as an adult, I, I, it's pretty rare that I get sick now. And so to be that laid out when I get sick now though, it, it knocks me out really good. I got a flu shot. I get one every year. All of our kids had flu shots, you know, but this year it just, it snuck through. So I lost a, a bit of productivity and Frankly, I was dehydrated and then for like two days after it was, uh, it was, it was crazy. That's rough. I mean, I remember getting sick as a kid too. And I, I think the difference is that you have less responsibilities as a kid, like your responsibilities, just lay in bed and, you know, stay off the TV and stuff like that. But it's, it's so much harder now because you've got all the different responsibilities you've got. I mean, we've each got businesses to run and then you've got your own kids to deal with. And hopefully both parents don't get sick at the same time. Last week, we actually it was earlier this week, my oldest got strep throat. And then like the past couple of days, my, both my wife and I have been like on the verge of getting sick, but we're not quite sure, but it's neither one of us have strep throat yet. So it's like, I don't know, you know, little germ farms is <laughs> really what it amounts to. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. How about you? What's going on? Well, uh, I uh, recently got back from Big Snow Tiny Conf, so we can talk about that a little bit. But the other thing I wanted to point out to people is that the AppSumo giveaway for MicroConf is still going on, and uh, that will end on February 11th. So you have about one week left from the date that this podcast episode goes live to apply. You'll get a free ticket to each of the conferences, both Growth Edition and to Starter Edition, and the uh, expenses for the trip are going to be paid by AppSumo. We'll link that up in the show notes. You can go over there and get in on the contest. And there's a bunch of different ways you can get even more entries into it. So definitely check out the website. You can link up your Twitter account or Facebook account and you know follow the MicroConf Twitter account and things like that. And all those, each of those things will add to the number of entries that you get in there and you can get referrals as well. So check it out and you know hopefully we'll see you there. On my end, I've been working on improving this uh, this weakness I have. So you know how everyone says... I'm so bad with names. Like, I don't remember names, right? That's like the, the cliche thing. I've always actually struggled with that, like in a pretty big way. And what's interesting is that it's not that my memory is bad because, and I've realized this over and over, but it was called out to me again. It was a couple weeks ago at a startup gathering here in, in Minneapolis. 
and I talked to someone and I'm like, hey, I know we've met before and we started talking and I was like, you know, I don't remember your name. I apologize, but I remember that your startup is named X and I remember that it launched on this day and I remember that your churn up until this point was 2% and then it went to 1.8 and I, and I just rattled off all this stuff and they, their eyes were like huge. And I was like, no, this is my, like, that's my superpower is I remember it's not just numbers, but it's the context around a concept, you know, like a, in this case, a startup and it all stuck in my head but I didn't remember their first name. And it's it's such an interesting model of how memory works differently in different people because my wife, Sherry, would have remembered the person's name and their their spouse's name and their kids' names. And I didn't, you know, none of that like locked in for me. And it's such about, you know, relating to people versus I think relating to some other thing, concepts or whatever. And so I'm working on that because it is, no matter how much, I, it's a, it's an interesting parlor trick to be able to rattle off <laughs> all the details of someone's business. We'd had the conversation six months prior, right? But it's an interesting parlor trick, but it still is not a good thing. So I've been looking at, at ways to help me remember people's names and or to only go to events where there are name tags. I'm just kidding about the last thing, but <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I'm exactly the same way. I could remember lots of details and pinpoint like exactly where we were standing at a particular event when we were talking about it, but I will just have a hard time with the person's name. And maybe it's just a matter of focusing on remembering the person's name and avoiding, I'll say, overemphasis of remembering all the details of the conversation. And maybe it's just they stick in my head because those are the pieces that are really interesting to me. And I know that I can just look down at their name tag and see their name at any time. Mm -hmm. Totally. You know, I should have mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the uh, other announcement that I have is that MicroConf scholarship applications are going to start opening this week. So we'll open them up today. I haven't decided on exactly how long they will open, but uh, I'll make sure that we put that on the application itself. And we'll link up the application in the show notes. We have a bunch of sponsors who have graciously offered to help fund these scholarships. So the scholarships are all for MicroConf Starter Edition. We have at least 20 of them to give away. So last year, I think we had uh, 14 or so, and this year we have at least 20. So I'm still working with a couple of different sponsors on that. So that number may go up, but that's what we have currently. Love it. And for me, last update, you came back from Big Snow Tiny Conf East, which we'll chat about, I think, in a second. I am heading to Big Snow Tiny Conf West out in Colorado. I think I'll be there when this episode airs, actually. And so this is my inaugural Big Snow Tiny Conf. Looking forward to hanging out with the people. This was your fourth or fifth, is that right? Yeah, it's my fifth. That's cool. And what, any, any takeaways or thoughts, having gone back that many times? If it's raining severely on the second day, just skip it. Just don't even go out there. I, uh, so we went out on Thursday, and the, it was just pouring like it was above freezing all the way up the mountain and it was raining and we said you know what we're here we're just going to go skiing anyway and by the third run we're like we're done we're just not going to ski anymore and we, uh, we were probably about halfway down and I kind of uh I pushed off to go down the hill and the front of my ski turned like it was supposed to and the back didn't and because I pushed off my arms were like basically kind of behind me because I was pushing myself forward. And of course, I just fall flat on my face and roll down the hill a little bit. So I did a face plant right into the uh, slush. Not fun. <laughs> wow. So I hurt my shoulder a little bit, cleared up a few days later, jaw right into the slush and twisted my neck a little bit. But both of those things, like nothing major, you know, a few days later, I was still sore. But, you know, at this point, I'm fine. Right. So yeah, do you ski at all or do you snowboard? I don't. 
Nope. No. So here's the thing. I grew up at 90 minutes from Tahoe in California, but as kids, we were always playing sports like pretty intently. So I played eight, eight years of soccer. I ran track for nine years, played football and cross country. So we were always super busy in the winter and our coaches were like, do not go skiing because people would tear their knees up. They'd hurt their backs. They did all kinds of stuff. And we didn't have enough money. Like we just didn't have the money for ski gear and the rental and all the stuff. We were a family of six growing up, right? I'm the youngest of four kids. And then people moved out and it just, it was never a thing, even though it was obviously a, an option geographically, but just not something that my family prioritized. So I am going up there to have everyone else go ski and I'm going to figure, stay, you know, hang out. I'll probably do a little bit of work. I'll probably do kind of retreat stuff during the day. Like I have some things I want to give some pretty deep thought to and I want to do that. I also like drinking hot cocoa and, you know, catching up on my, on my reading. So I'm looking forward to being up in the mountain and hanging out with folks in the afternoons. I guess that's how the, that's how it plays out. And then kind of having some alone time during the day. Yeah, the uh, the evening talks are really interesting because you get to hear in depth details about people's businesses, and you know some people come with questions, and some people just come with a story, or some people just say, "Hey, this is a problem that I'm working on, and I need help with it. And what are your thoughts on it?" So it's uh, it's pretty cool. You get a really good mix of things based on what the people's businesses are, because some people do like B 2 C, some people do B 2 B, and it's just it's interesting. Sounds good. So what are we chatting about today? Well, today we are going to be talking about what to look for in a co-founder. And this kind of came to mind because I'm specifically kind of looking around at my personal network and trying to figure out, is taking a co-founder on for Blue Tick like a path that I want to go down? And if so, like what would I be looking for in that type of person? Like what are the, the traits or capabilities? What's their situation? How would that kind of work for me and how would it work for them? But I thought that it'd be interesting for the listeners to kind of step back from that a little bit and in more of a, an abstract fashion, think about what sorts of things you should look for in a co-founder. And then from there, you can kind of, you know, whittle down the list of the potential options and how that would work. But obviously like there's a little bit of putting the cart before the horse there because you have to decide, do I want one? And this is kind of a qualification of if you do, then what would you look for? And we recorded an episode about whether you should look for a co-founder, haven't we? I don't recall. I, you know, I looked back and I think that we talked about it in general, but I don't know as we went through and said, like, these are the things that you should actually look for as opposed to should I get one? Right. You know, there's going to come a day where we record an episode that's basically the exact same episode or at least the same topic as what we recorded years ago. I know. <laughs> we're not going to, we've done that in Realizer, right? Where we've said, we've gone back and said, here are new thoughts on this topic, but we're going to do it unintentionally at some point. 430 episodes in, I don't believe we've done that to date, but uh, this may be the day. Possibly, possibly, but we'll see. I'm sure somebody will remember it. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Let's dive in. So the first one that kind of came up on my list was honesty and integrity. And for the person that you're looking to bring on as a co-founder, like you, what you want to do is be in a position where you know that the other person will always quote unquote, try to do the right thing, whatever that happens to be. And what that happens to be has to boil down to what your goals in life are and kind of generally how you address different situations or problems. Are they going to have your interests at heart? Or are they a little bit more selfish? And I think you obviously want them to have your interests at heart whenever they're making different decisions and then kind of balance that against everything else. So like you don't want to sacrifice the entire business probably, but 
at the same time, like there's going to be certain situations where someone needs to make a decision that may not necessarily be you. And do you trust the other person to make those decisions? Because you don't, what you don't want is you don't want a co-founder that essentially turns into someone you're micromanaging. Like you really want somebody who is on equal footing is not quite the right way to put it, but somebody who you can at least respect enough to have a conversation about something, even if you disagree with them on it. What I found is with Contractors, for example, contractors are very loath to bring up stuff that is detrimental to the business or criticize work that you have done, and they just don't tend to give you a an objective opinion about things in a way that is any way confrontational because they, I don't know, I feel like a lot of them are like, oh, I don't want to rock the boat because this is my job at stake. But at the same time, you need somebody to challenge you in different situations where you could be wrong or they perceive you to be wrong so that you can talk through those things and say, is this the right decision for us and for the business? Yeah, I, I think this is... This is a big one, being able to have trust that your co-founder will do two things. One, that they will have your back in a way that I think, you know, you brought up the kind of the selfish or the self-centered. And there's, I guess, honesty and integrity is part of that, but it's almost like they're not always going to be thinking about themselves because we all know people who do that. And people who don't come across that way, you know, in a first meeting can later you find out they just really have an issue. Maybe it's from childhood or maybe it's part of their personality, but they really have an issue when talking about money or they have an issue uh, when talking about time or they have an issue when talking about there, there's certain triggers that you need to pick up and be aware of, right? Because each of us has our own things that that set us off. And I feel like that's that's something that that is hard to evaluate in one or two conversations. It really needs to be done over an extended period of time. I think then there's this this integrity piece, the kind of honesty, ethics, morals that your compasses align because obviously there are different ways of viewing the world and you don't, as you said, want to have to manage this person's every decision that they make and be like, oh, I feel like you kind of screwed that vendor with that decision or I feel like that was a disingenuous offer you made to that employee or, you know, you didn't certainly didn't do anything illegal and probably not unethical, but was that really morally the right thing to do? And, and those are hard conversations to have because that's such a fundamental value that if you don't share with someone, it's going to be a constant conflict. And again, not something that's super easy to evaluate up front, but it is nice it's kind of a, a must-have, I think, that you do find someone where, you know, in general, on 80-90% of the things, the two of you are going to align in these hard, in these hard decisions. I think the point that you just brought up about this being something that you may not learn right away and it may take time to get there, I think that's one of the things that it doesn't bug me, but it strikes me as odd when I see people looking around saying, oh, like I'm, I'm trying to build this business and I want to get a co-founder or does anyone know where I can find a co-founder? And it almost feels like people are looking for a co-founder in a very, very short period of time. But because of this exact thing that we're talking about, the you know honesty and integrity and trust, it takes time to get there. So in some ways, you can look at it and say, well, what are are there proxies that I can use for this? Are there people that I know that trust that person? And you know, you trust their experience and then by proxy, trust this new person that you're looking at as a co-founder. And I think that's a good way to approach it. It's not perfect, but I don't think that there's any perfect way to analyze that because it's not as if you're cloning yourself and 
you can't always know what the other person is thinking. Yeah, and I think evaluating this in the short term is to know yourself and know how kind of trusting or suspicious you are of people that you meet, new people that you meet. Because what I found, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but there's this test called the Enneagram. It takes about 15 minutes to, to take, and it gives you a number from one to nine. And it's, a, it's like a, a Myers-Briggs, right? It's a personality thing. And my personality is one, it's like creative, introverted, uh, I forget, like visionary or something. And then it's like, you know, so there's like typically two or three things that are good and two or three things that can be detriments. And one of mine is like sus- naturally suspicious of new things and new people. And so I know that as a rule, I, I tend to say I'm a good judge of character. What I actually mean is I really don't trust people up front and they tend to have to have really good character to get through my defenses early on. And so I am a very discerning person, which is which is both good and bad. Sometimes it's to my detriment and I write people off too soon. So I know that about myself and I will, I'll be having internal kind of uh, self-talk or conversations about, okay, th- is this person, are they really coming off the way that I think they are or is that just in my head? But I have known people, I have relatives and friends who are on the opposite side and they are too trusting and they get in friendships really quickly and get pretty deep with people who it's pretty obvious that person is not going to be a good friend. That person is is going to treat them poorly. You know, maybe it's a co-founder relationship, maybe it's a, a romantic relationship, or maybe it's a friendship. And it is hard for me to watch that because I'm like, this is going to end poorly. And, and frequently it does. And those people, I think, are too far on the other side of the spectrum, right? They are not suspicious enough. And so I think it's knowing where you lie and, you know, just trying to do your best, frankly, to figure out, you know, what, what you think of someone after a few meetings. The next trait that I kind of came up with was it was more or less a a current skill set versus ability to learn new skills. And you've talked about this in the past. It comes from like the fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. But I look at it in terms of what does somebody bring to the table now versus what could they learn in the future to bring to the table later? And I, I think that there's the short-term aspect and then the long-term aspect. And the short-term aspect, you're really looking for somebody who can complement your current skill set. And then in the long-term, you're looking for somebody who can, you know, you, you know what it is that they want to do. And it's not necessarily directly overlapping with the things that you want to do long-term because you probably don't want to have two people who both want to do support, for example. That's not a great example. Like sales, long-term, you probably don't want both want to be doing sales. You probably need somebody to be doing technical stuff the other person to be doing more of the business and marketing and sales side of things. But if you both want to be doing development long-term, that may not necessarily be a great fit because then who's going to be doing the sales and marketing stuff long-term? Yeah, this is a mistake I made in the early days. I think a lot of people make this mistake when hiring. And finding a co-founder is similar. It's not the same, but it's it's similar to evaluating a potential hire. And the thing is not to look at their skill set because things are going to change. In startups, they just change so fast. And so if I were to look back at myself 10 years ago, I didn't know 80% of what I know now. And you could have looked at me and said, well, this person knows how to write and he knows SEO and he knows how to write code. That's an interesting skill set. What is his potential someday? And you know what? I don't do much SEO anymore. And I don't write any code anymore. And I write a lot less than I used to actually. So, uh, you know, everything that made me who I was 10 years ago really has has had to adapt. And I've had to learn to build relationships better and, and even just speak in public, which was something that terrified me early on. And to speak on the microphone, which is something that terrified me early on. You know, all the things that, that you just have to get over. 
and I have watched other people do the same thing. You know, you look at Derek Reimer, my co-founder with Thrip, you look at Ben Orenstein, and you see how they've adjusted and adapted over time. And you know, when you look at people who are really sharp and who are getting done, that you, something you'll notice about them is, wow, they don't stand still for long, do they? Like they don't have the same skill set for very long. They are constantly adapting to new things. And so, you know, if I'm hiring a team member, if I'm looking for a co-founder, if I'm evaluating a startup founder, as I've been doing for the past several years, but more intensely over the past 11 days since uh, tiny seed applications have been open, a lot of this is not what do you know, it's what can you learn and how quickly. And it's trying to be able to evaluate how they can do that. And so my question to you is, how can you evaluate that? I think if you look at the history of what people have done, whether it's you know launching small apps or working for different businesses, I feel like if you if you're looking at somebody's experience and they've done consulting at a bunch of different companies, that right there says that they have the ability to adapt and change and work in different environments and presumably be productive because otherwise you're probably not going to get a lot of consulting gigs that way. I have mixed feelings on somebody who's doing consulting work for the same business for like five years or 10 years or something like that because I, I would question how much adaptation there is there because like you're not adapting to different business environments and changing conditions because going from one company or customer to another it's a very very different experience between those two and there's a lot of different things you have to manage whereas if you stay in the same company or within that you know the sandbox there it's not going to change a lot or dramatically so i don't i i think in those cases it's a little less clear cut as to how to to measure that. But I would definitely say if somebody's hopped around a little bit, then you can give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of their ability to learn new skills. The thing you have to be a little careful of, though, is, is it like entrepreneurial ADD where they just can't focus on something and that's why they switch so often. And I think that many people suffer, and myself included, like suffer from the shiny object syndrome where you hop from one project to another because something interests you and you're not necessarily finishing things. So that's something that kind of comes into this, like that's a something you have to balance that against. I agree. That's what you have to dig into. You touched on it exactly is was the person running away from something like, oh, this got too hard or, oh, that boss was dumb or they didn't value me there or, oh, I got bored of that. Or is it ambition or is, and ambition's not the right word because I'm actually, it's this weird thing. I'm not that ambitious, but I love creating new things, but I also finish what I started. And I think that's something to look at when you're evaluating this is I agree that hopping from one thing to the next can actually be be a good and a bad trade, and it's determining what their reasoning and logic and motivations for doing that are. And I agree, if someone's been working the same job or the same contract for years on end, it can be hard to gauge, and you'd almost have to like, I don't know what else I would look at, you know, to figure out that it, it, it just makes it harder to evaluate if someone hasn't been tackling new challenges. I think that's that's kind of the thing that I'd be looking for. I think the four axes that I look for when I think about someone as a startup founder, like skill set, I think of technology skill set, like are they a developer or can or do they speak developer? Marketing, can they actually get stuff done, drive traffic, optimize a funnel, convert people, you know, trial to paid. SaaS experience, which is pretty unique. Most people don't have it. 
But, you know, do they know all the metrics and the numbers that churn the LTVs? Do they think in terms of SaaS numbers? And this is one thing you can certainly learn. But if someone already has that experience, whether they've worked in depth for one or whether they, um, you know, have started one. And then the fourth is kind of hiring and managing and delegating of, pe- of people. And those are, there are certainly more axes, but those are honestly the four that when I'm evaluating a startup founder of like, do I think they're going to succeed? I look along those axes and do they have, they don't need all four of them. Again, if they can learn stuff, you could start with one of them and branch off into the other three. But if you have two co-founders, I really don't want two co-founders who both have a ton of tech experience and both want to write code. You, you want one of them who's willing to know the marketing or to learn the marketing, you know, or one who's willing to do the hiring and the managing because assuming that you are going to scale up at least a little bit, you need to learn all these skill sets. And that kind of leads directly into the next one, which is difficult to measure resources because there's certain types of resources like time and money, which I think are directly measurable. But when you're coming to things like your personal network or your experience and your skill set, I feel like those are a little bit more difficult to measure in terms of what it brings to the table and what it means for the future. And I think every situation is different. Those things are going to mean different things for different businesses. So let's say somebody brings a lot of domain knowledge and expertise to a particular problem that you're working on and you want to involve them, you know, there's the stuff that they know and that they have experienced is going to be valuable. Is it stuff that you could learn on your own? Yes. Uh, And, you know, and then the other side of that is, well, perhaps and perhaps not. But, you know, you have to take those things into account some way because they do make that relationship a little bit more valuable. And it also depends a lot on how long it's going to take you to acquire that knowledge. Like, have they already tried to do a startup in that space and they either succeeded or failed? Those things can can make a huge difference in terms of, you know, whether or not want to add that to your team. And then there are the measurable resources that that each co-founder might bring. How much time does the person have? Because obviously a lot of us start by our products by working on them part-time. And what I've found in my experience is that People have a lot less time on the side than they think they do. A lot of times I have hired contractors who, I mean, this probably happened six or seven times to me, where I've gone through a full interview process, you know, you know, done in, not in person, but video interviews with six, seven people, narrow, 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 get somebody. It's like, you're sharp, cool. You have a day job as a developer, as a marketer, and you want to run Facebook ads for me on the side. Love it. Uh, how many hours a week? Okay, you got 15 hours, 20 hours. That's great. And then we'll start. And they'll work four or five in the week. And I'll be like, hey, what happened? Yeah, I just have a lot less time than I thought I did. And this is something that I think you really need to dig into. If someone tells you they have 20 hours a week to work, I honestly think you should try to get a schedule and say, well, carve that time out. Because if you have kids, you're probably putting them to bed at eight. And so are you, you know, or seven or eight or whatever. And so are you working three hours a night during the week and then some on the weekend? If you don't have kids, what does that look like? Because again, everybody seems to overestimate the amount of time that they have. I mean, I think it's kind of human nature. The other thing to think about in terms of a measurable resource is money. And, you know, does does having some money help you get to escape velocity quicker and how much money does each person have to contribute? If you have an even amount, then cool, you can you know be 50-50 partners. If one person has more, uh, that probably should buy them more equity, I think, unless time is is you know uh, out of whack. So there's this a bunch of thing to th- things to think about, but certainly someone bringing money to the table can be a bonus. I would say with caution, money is a very short-term thing. 
And, you know, in the early days of a startup, you can think, oh my gosh, this person's bringing 20 grand to the table and they should, but they don't have much time. So they should get this huge chunk of it. And that makes sense for about six months. You know, it makes sense until you get to the point where you launch and suddenly, you know, you start growing and 20 grand just isn't that much money anymore. And there's a balance here because money in the early days is more risky. You know, it is, it is a big deal for someone to bring 20, 30, 40 grand into a startup that may never work. But I would say, you know, consider all of these other factors I would probably put above um, the value of just pure dollars invested. Yeah, I think time and money tie together to some extent as well, because, you know, if somebody has money set aside and the business isn't quite making enough to pay the founders and, you know, a reasonable income, can somebody extend the runway to some extent by living off of less? So like you may be able to command a salary of 150,000 a year, but do you have to? Because if the business can't support that, then obviously you can't pay yourself that. And how is that going to work? Is somebody essentially taking a massive pay cut in order to be able to contribute time or do they have other sources of income? And that's kind of really what I was getting at in terms of the measurable resources, not so much can they dump a bunch of money on it, but are they able to be somewhat self-sustaining until and can still contribute to the business while it's it's getting further along. And, you know, Nights and Weekends project is a very different story. And I think you brought up a lot of great examples and points about the fact that people have probably a lot less time available to them than they think they do. Some of that comes into motivation. And as you commented earlier, whether they're running towards something or away from something. I think another big thing to think about is talking about long-term goals is a big deal, right? Because startup has a lot of connotations and startup may mean you ju- you just want to start a really nice lifestyle business that's going to get you collectively two, three hundred grand that you guys split. And that's a good goal to have as long as you both agree on it. But if one person wants to raise venture funding or they want to go seven or eight figures and stay bootstrapped, these are all different paths and it's going to impact a lot of things along the way. And this is something that I would at least have a conversation. You may not need 100% everything ironed out up front, but to say, what really is your goal here? Is your goal to work as little as possible and for both of us to make six figures? Okay, let me think if that's what I want to do. Because if you don't, there's going to be this constant tension as you're you're growing your, uh, your product. And sometimes these things don't always work out. And you may think up front that your goals overlap and those goals may change over time. I, I read an article from the guys over at Buffer where, you know, there was three co-founders and initially uh, everybody was kind of on the same page and they all wanted to do the same things. And with over the past couple of years, and I forget the exact timeline of that, but, you know, they ended up kind of going in different ways and two of the co-founders left the company and there's one still there that's running everything. But it was interesting to see that they laid out the different types of conversations they had and how, you know, it took a long time for them to get there. So there are ways out of the situation if long-term you find out that, you know, your goals have diverged. But it's, it's, I think it's important to keep in mind that if you have that conversation early and they don't overlap right then, it's possible they could kind of come in alignment, but you're, it's probably not a good place to be starting from. I think one of the last important things that you should be looking at in a co-founder is do they work well with others? And specifically by others, I mean you, but in general, is it are they easy to work with? Are they not necessarily focused and driven, but you know, can you hold a conversation with them and not get angry with them about how they're doing things or vice versa? Like, you know, are they going to critique your work all the time? And if so, is that something that you can deal with? And there's only so many ways that you can kind of figure this stuff out. 
I think probably the best way to do it is just work together for a little while. And I think you'll very quickly see, you know, whether or not you're going to be able to work with them long term or not. And, you know, there's going to be some things that jump out at you very quickly and then some things that you're going to learn six months two years down the road that you didn't necessarily pick up on right away. And it's, it's not necessarily good or bad, but I think that hammering out what those things are that like really irk you or the things that you do that irk them, if you know those upfront, you can at least have the conversations and talk about it and figure out whether it's something that you can both live with or not. And if you don't do that, then you could head for trouble. But I, I haven't found any other good ways of doing that other than actually working with somebody. You can ask friends or colleagues or people who have worked both with you and that other person. But sometimes those recommendations are, one, hard to come by, and two, people don't really want to throw other people under the bus. So that's, it's difficult to get that information from a third party. That's right. And when I've done these, these kind of reference checks, I tend to say, tell me the hardest part about them. Tell me their biggest weakness. Tell me where their blind spots are. Like I try to dig into this stuff. You know, I don't, I don't want, I'm trying to disprove my theory that they are someone that I should work with or even not even disprove it, but just to know, like I can work with blind spots as long as I know what they are. Like this person tends to give very direct feedback so be prepared for blunt feedback. It's like, okay, that's not a deal breaker for me. But when this person you know, says something that shocks or offends me, I need to just be like, cool, that's how they roll. And that's also a big plus because, you know, for a number of other, other reasons. I think, uh, you know, a good story of this is like Jordan Gall with Ben Fisher and the founding of Carthook. And they did kind of, they, they say they like dated, you know, as, as founders and they really tried it out for quite a while, a couple months, I believe. And they... They went and co-worked in one location and then another because they lived across the country from each other, but they really got to know each other. I'll even say with with Anar Volset and and I, you know, co-founders of, of Tiny Seed, I asked some folks who knew him better than I did because I know him through MicroConf, but he and I have never worked together. So I, I asked a few folks, hey, you know, I know you know him better than I do. Tell me about him. And then we started just working on a deck. And that's all it was is he said, I don't know, what do you think? Do you, should we do a deck? Cool. So then I got to see, you know, not very much skin in the game. And he and I were both saying, well, we're not sure we're going to do this. You know, that was kind of our, I, I knew we were going to do it, but it was, I, I think both of us kind of sizing each other up and saying, is this person going to be fun? and, and compliment my skills, you know, and are they going to work well with others? And that was a big thing to just sit and hammer something out and to agree on certain things, disagree on other things, be convinced by the other person. Cause you're like, wow, this person, this guy's smart. Like that's the, the thing that I think you want to get to. So even doing one or two smaller projects together before, you know, you do a full commit, I think can be really helpful. So at the beginning of this episode, uh, you and I had chatted briefly about whether or not we actually covered this bef- this particular topic before. And I went back and looked in, in episode 408, if you're evaluating whether or not you should take on a co-founder, that's where we talked about that. This is more about what to look in a, for in a co-founder. Right. And so that was only 22 episodes ago and we had already forgotten. Yes. Really, Mike? Six yeah. months? This is Well, we, we were pretty sure. We, we knew we talked something about it. We just didn't remember the specifics. I totally did. Yeah, it was vaguely... I knew we talked about co. I mean, we've talked about co-founders a number of times. I just don't know what the specific episodes have been. That's okay. We'll let it go this time. All right. If you feel like you'd like to add something to this list of what to look for in a co-founder, including how to evaluate that, you can either post at Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 430. You can post a comment there, or you can email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. 
or call it into our voicemail number at 888-801-9690. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot. It's used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us in iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.